Hey everybody, welcome to episode 35 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett here with Jimmy Duresta and David Picciuto. How's it going, guys? Howdy, howdy. Hello. I want to thank Luis Gonzalez and Jeremy White for uh, supporting us on Patreon. And of course, everybody else on Patreon, but those two guys are our top supporters. And so I just wanted to shout out to them and say thanks. And uh, everybody else, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it, or you can go to iTunes and uh, leave us a rating and review. That's always helpful. Uh, helps us get in front of more ears and in front of more people. So um, what are we working on? Guys, what are you up to? Well, I just put out my coffee table build, and that was a fun one, where I soldered the aluminum legs, and it has a, a lift top. And uh, I don't know, I got, I got a pretty good response from it so far. So Cool. That thing is not tippy, is it? Like if you put a little bit too much weight forward, does it keep a good center of gravity? It does. It's it's pretty low. It pretty, has a pretty low center, to gra- center of gravity. And um, the base is kind of heavy, but that being said, you couldn't sit on it. It would it would tip yeah, over. But it's yeah. it's plenty. Like Kelly and I can eat off of it. I can set my laptop on it. Um, I can put my elbow on it and rest my head, and it, and it's just fine. But if I would sit on it, it would definitely flip over. Right on, right on. I always I always wanted to play with that hardware. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. Thanks. And and if it if it is too tippy for somebody, you can just find a way to add weights to the base somehow. But Mm-hmm. Is there any space? I mean, I, I saw the video, but I don't remember now. Is there space for storage inside, even with the fold-out yep. mechanism? Yep, yep. So cool. we we have magazines in there and keep the TV remotes in there and everything. So lots of space. Yeah, that probably helps with the center of gravity too. Just yep. putting more stuff in there. Yep. What is the what is the actual brand of the hardware? Did did you, did you say it in the thing? It's uh, it's, it's sold by Rockler. Um, I'm not sure if it's Rockler brand, but or maybe rebranded by Rockler, but it is sold by Rockler. Just, to, just as a matter of curiosity, a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, because I use some of that hardware, not in any videos, but in uh, some client jobs. And some people often ask me, where do I buy complicated hardware like that? And I go to Haifala. Have either of you guys ever gone to Haifala? No, I'm yeah. writing that down, though. It's, yeah, it's, they, have, they have a store here in Manhattan on uh, 27th Street. And it's, there's a couple of folk kitchens and, you know, living spaces. And they sell the most elaborate hardware where it comes for like door pocket doors to you know open and flip back inside of a door jam and and cabinets that open up. You know, like when you grab the handle and the and the whole kitchen cabinet door like pops out and up like a car trunk. Oh, they sell nice. all this crazy stuff. And they sell a few versions of that same uh, hardware that you just that you just used. Hmm. Heifela, it's a German company. They have a, an American leg here, I think in South Carolina. Nice. And a couple of hardware, I mean, and a couple of showrooms, which is great because you get to experience the the hardware. It's all set up. So, you know, blind hinges, everything. And it's all very, very expensive. <laughs> it's always a different experience when you get to actually feel and, and hold, hold the hardware. Um, mm-hmm. Not to derail the conversation, but I had a similar experience over the weekend where I was at this woodworking store uh, in in. East Ohio, and it's called Kime Lumber. And it was just like the most crazy, beautiful woodworking store you'll ever see. And they had a saw stop table there, which I have a saw stop. But about a year ago, saw stop released this sliding table sled, which is supposed to take place of like a cross cut sled. And I've never had any interest in it at all because I have a cross cut sled and it works just fine. But when I actually got to feel and move the sled, I was like, I have to mm. have one of these right yeah. now. Those because it was sexy. I play with them. Yeah, it was just so well built, and the action on it was just so smooth. So, like as soon as I I, I held it in my hand, I'm like, "Yep, this I'm does getting the, this." Does the saw stop one take the place of the leaf? 
Is that what it does? You remove the leaf, the steel leaf? No, it actually it adds on another like 12 inches to the left of it. Oh, cool. And um, you do you do have to cut your rail. So you have to, I'll, I'll have to take my rails to a machine shop and have them cut it down mm-hmm. to add this, this sliding tables. Oh, cool. Wow, I haven't seen that yet. I gotta look it up. Yeah. Um, what have I been working on? Uh, the pretzel shop. I have not documented any of it. Uh, it is in Grand Central Station. It's a job that I was supposed to do in uh, February, and now I'm finally doing it now. But we're just coming to a close. So the first part that I documented was the signage, and I just uh, actually posted a picture of the sign that I made last night. We posted it. We. I made it last night and I installed it today with Dave. So it was sort of a rush job. Somebody else was going to be doing the sign. And then when we uh, did a little cost analysis and everything else, and she, she asked me if I would do it, uh, the client. And she's been a good friend to me. So I, I jumped in and I, I did the sign and we put it up today. And I did a little video of that. So oh, nice. that's going to be coming out soon. Yeah, it's going to be a fast video. And if you do see the sign, it's all hand cut letters because they're too big for my CNC machine. So the letters are all about 24 inches tall. So, oh, that's big. Yeah, so it was all cut MDF and painted. So, and then uh, I start I started really kind of digging into the to the old pickup truck, which I've dubbed. Actually, David's a really good copywriter. One thing we didn't talk about with David last week was uh, his ability to kind of mince words creatively, and he's really good at coming up with words. And this isn't extremely uh, this isn't an extremely good example, but he dubbed that truck that I took the the dickel bed off of. We're going to restore it and get it kind of turn it into a rat rod, and, and Dave has named it the the trash picker. So <laughs> nice. I'm calling it the trash picker in social media. So I got a chance to work on the trash picker. We put new front brakes on it, me and Willie, and um, figured out that the carburetor needs to be rebuilt. So I got a carburetor rebuild kit. So I'm digging into that, and I made a little video of that, which I haven't edited yet. So I'm going to talk about that soon. And then uh, my tool file uh, video is is about ninety percent complete. I just got to kind of do it. I'm going to do a hand rub finish just so I don't build up a large layer of paint on everything because I can't afford it. Everything is tight tolerances. And um, yeah, so the tool file cabinet is is coming to a close. And that's it, just busy, just navigating. And, and that's it. Little tiny things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Those, those, that's not really just it, those but 10 that's things. what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, and Labor Day's coming up, so hopefully we get a chance to go upstate and relax. So, so you mentioned the, the MDF letters and painted. So mm-hmm. I've... I've done this several times and I've done it different ways every time, but what's your process for getting, for cutting something out of MDF, priming and painting it to get a finish on it that doesn't look like it's painted MDF? Um, well, I don't spray anything cause I don't have the, uh, the space to do it. So I don't ever get those like Ikea beautiful finishes. Mm-hmm. I just roller stuff. That's really all I do. I mean, you know, it's always a roller finish. Um, this pretzel shop sort of lends itself to that kind of, it's a little crunchy granolery and you know, the, they're not too uptight about super clean finishes. Um, when you, if anybody ever does get a chance to see the facade of this little countertop that we made, uh, there was price issues and stuff. So I mean, the, the compromise was all right. Let me make all these panels, which you'll see in the video just briefly. But it's just the background. Um, I made all these panels out of MDF, and then we painted them with a gloss paint. We gave them three coats of gloss paint, and the client really wanted it just so that they could wash it, you know, so it's washable and. It looks glossy from a like a faraway place, but this is going to be like kind of a jam-packed place, and they'll probably get some abuse. So I opted to say, let's paint it so that we could fix it up quickly. They wanted to do metal panels, like that have like a baked-on finish, which is certainly doable, but it's extremely expensive compared to what I did. And uh, they have the option, 
to make these panels in metal and pop them over what I made. So we made this with kind of like a nod to the future, that if they made some more money, they could make the panels in metal, have a, a, a baked-on finish, like an enamel, and then pop the panels right over that. And that obviously would be much more durable in time. But to, to get a sm super clean finish, it's, it's, you know, I just always opt for the roller, roller finish, and you'll see that in this video. And when you step back, you know, it looks, it just fits the texture of the whole space. It really, it seems to work good. The client's happy. So, but uh, I primer, sand, primer, sand, and then put a finished coat and then maybe sand a couple times between those coats as well. Usually latex. Gotcha. Well, uh, so yeah. Let's talk about, I want to know your sanding technique. What do you, are you saying with sandpaper, steel wool? Like what are you, what are you doing between coats? Um, Probably like a 220 on my little handheld uh pre-used uh, hook and loop disc. Okay. Okay. You know those hook and loop discs that are like, you know, they go bad on your sander so you replace them? Yeah. I just talk a little hockey puck to the back so then I could even just use hook and loop right on it again because by hand they stay in place but, you know, the hook and loop is too worn out for the actual sander. So I have like three or four of those kicking around the shop. So typically whenever we do anything we always have one of those in the bag. Hmm. So you could even buy it. Like I, I said it in one of my tips videos. If you wanted, you could just go buy one of those brand new hook and loop pads from Home Depot, they're like 20 bucks and just hot glue a puck on the back and then you have a good sanding block that you could always use. You're full of tips. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I try to be full of tips. <laughs> well, for me, um, let's see, I put out my GoPro ring light video today. Very cool. And uh, thanks. And You're like an official product designer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've had, really a, a, had a lot of comments that were like, um, you should have patented to that or you know that's going to be coming out of china tomorrow or something like that and you know that's fine i don't think i could have patented that idea but um it's gotten a good reaction and uh, one thing that's been really interesting is that so i intentionally used an arduino and this neopixel ring because they were kind of pre-built components that you can buy pretty cheaply you know they there's no like complicated wiring or anything that you have to use to put them together and so i did that kind of on purpose and a lot of the reaction has been like why would you use an Arduino for that? It's way overkill. And it's just funny to look at like the way that different people in an audience will look at the same project. Because some people are like, wow, that was really simple. And then some people are like, way, that's the way too complicated. And some people are like, way, that's, you know, just, it's funny when you have a, an, a thing like that, that's maybe not as straightforward as like, you know, putting together two pieces of wood or something. You're and there's, always going to have those nerd trolls that deserve to be beat up. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, it's less about like trolling and it's just more about like how people come, you know, what they have when they're looking at a particular project and something like that that could be done. And I told somebody, you know, you can, you can skin a cat a hundred ways. Um, it can be done a lot of different ways, but it's just funny how people always bring to, well, why didn't you do it the way I would have done it? Why didn't you do it the way I would have done it? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you just want to punch a computer screen. It's like, <laughs> There's just a million ways to do anything. Just watch and observe and yeah. you know, make your own analysis and keep it personal. No one cares unless you have something constructive to say. Yeah. I really love the the horror movie look that you that you highlighted in the in the video. Oh, at the very end, the very yeah. rare witch. <laughs> in the bushes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it it worked out pretty well. And I, I was actually surprised at how how well it lit a space. And uh somebody did point out that I forgot to put in um you know, what it would look like showing on someone's face, which is kind of why you use ring lights anyway in photography. You know, I didn't put an example of that, but... Um, yeah, ring lights give you a nice catch light in the eye. That's what people like them. Yeah. 
So anyway, but so that went up today, and then um, I'm working on the video for next week, which is uh, customizing a Nerf gun. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, cool. it's it's really very uh, kind of minimal change, but it's like painting. It was a it was a chance for me to do some sculpting to test out some new sculpting stuff. Uh, so I'm adding some LEDs, and and then mostly it was about painting and weathering. So it was me kind of heading down the road toward prop making, but you know in the simplest way possible. Who gets to keep the gun when it's done? Is it for you or is it for the kids? Oh, the kids have their own guns. This oh, is mine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I did say in the video that I bought the same, I started with the same one that they have. So it's fair, you know, mm. it's, it doesn't shoot farther or harder than theirs does. Uh, are you, uh, what are you doing for construction? Are you using like epoxy clay or are you using styrene bits and pieces? Yeah, I use this stuff that I didn't get, nobody told me about it. I just, I kind of happened across it and it's called epoxy sculpt. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I don't know, it's like a modeling compound, two-part, you know, kind of one-to-one stuff, but it hardens really, really hard. Yeah, it's and like uh, it's like the Magic Sculpt that I've talked about a couple of times. Same thing, different okay. brand. Yeah. yeah, it's waterproof and everything. And I was actually surprised that um, it's moldable with water. So, you know, before it cures, you can smooth it pretty easily just with yep, your finger and some water. So, yeah. Same as Magic Sculpt. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. So it's good stuff, yeah. but that's what I'm working on. And I guess the last thing, and just to, right before we got started recording, I got in these uh, carpenter pencils with my logo on them that I ordered. So those are going to go up in my store probably tomorrow. Um, and they are super duper fluorescent orange. So That's cool. You can make a triangle and put it behind your car when you're changing your flat. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's there a good go. idea. Maybe I should sell them in packs of three for that very reason. And, and 3D print that little triangle hub, that hub that would make the two like sit at a 60 degree angle to one another. Yes. There you go. That's a thing of ours. Get on it. Yep. <laughs> do that. Yeah. Right so that's it for me. Well, we're going to talk a little bit today. A lot of, a lot of uh, people write to us and ask us, what is our various choices for software for all the different creative endeavors that we do? And uh, so that's what we're going to dig into a little bit today. And just before we started, uh, when we were kind of talking about this, it reminded me personally, I remember, now guys, think, put your thinking caps on and remember back to a time when the absolute vodka ads were like a thing, like in the 80s and the 90s. Everybody like, couldn't wait to see the next absolute vodka ad. And everybody would often think to themselves, is it done on the computer? Is it done on the computer? But I had the, the uh, fortunate experience to actually work in that studio for one summer as sort of an intern. It was a paid intern in the summer of 1989. And I worked there and everything they did, and I never did work on a, on particularly on, a, on an absolute vodka ad, but I did see them. Any one of those absolute ads that are those classic ones were all around the studio. And once they were done being photographed, they would take them back and put them in like a cubby. So they were in cubbies all around the shop. Actually, when you first walked in the building, there was a whole bunch of them on the wall in like a big grid of cubbies. And there was like absolute Pittsburgh and absolute Maryland and all, all of them were all there. This was down in Soho in Manhattan. And a lot of people... Uh, mistakenly thought that they were all done on a computer, but in fact, they were all done by hand. Hmm. And he made a really interesting point. He's like, if I did these on the computer, he goes, we wouldn't have the, the multitude of options to light these different objects. So if, if they were done, and modeling at the time was extremely rare. And, you know, obviously, I guess it was still, it was available in the late 90s. I mean, in the late 80s, early 90s, but it wasn't as, as prevalent and not as many people had access to it. And so they opted to just continuously hand make everything. Uh, for the main reason that you could light it. But I remember mm. thinking to myself, 
yeah, I have the ability to make stuff too. I'll never need a computer. I can always just hand make everything. And then I remember starting to see like when, when Illustrator started taking over and becoming a thing. And, and I used to say to myself, I can always just use cut paper for sharp edges. I don't need a computer. Because <laughs> yeah, I remember Illustrator would give you those nice clean edges and like 800 DPI printing. And I used to think I could just make mock-ups with like cut razor blade edges. I don't need. Who needs a computer? I don't need that. And uh, slowly you start to get hypnotized and uh, you start to realize the advantages when you see other people cranking out beautiful images and beautiful work and clean, pristine things. You start to think to yourself, well, I guess, you know, I can only do so much with my hands and, you know, I do, do need the aid of this or that. It's, it's just funny in, the, uh, in our lifetimes, the advance of computer technology. I'm going to tell you one more story that I'm going to open up the the stage to you too, because I'm rambling. But I remember being at the School of Visual Arts and one of my teachers in 1988, she was a, a, a photography uh, art director for Revlon and she would have all these big ads uh, for Revlon. And we were, she would invite us into her studio and she was working on an ad and there was a young model in the ad named Cindy Crawford. It was like one of Cindy Crawford's first couple of ad campaigns in the, in the 80s. And she was working on, she had these huge C prints. They were like, like 30 inches wide and she had a little marker and she was circling little dots and things in the, in the thing with a grease pencil saying, make this darker, get rid of this, move this eyelash, make this eyelash parallel with that eyelash. And then she would send it back to somebody who had a, what was called at the time a syntax machine. And he was able to change all these things on the negative or whatever the file. And then he would send her back another file and she would look at it. So this was the process that took, several back and forth between a, a house that owned the computer and her who needed it. And now that's just Photoshop that every single person has on their computer mostly. Hmm. So it's just an amazing uh, you know, advance in technology in these last 25, 30 years and, and how fast it's gone and how accessible it is to all of us as artists. So It's funny to be the, the polar opposite of that, what you just told, because like when I went to art school, <clears throat> I was going to do graphic design initially. And, you know, it was, obviously we had computers and stuff there, but the first intro classes, your kind of 101 classes, they want you to do it by hand. They want you to have some skill with an X-Acto blade and, you know, typesetting by hand and stuff like that. But I didn't know that. So I got there expecting like, hey, I'm going to jump on the computer, start doing some design. And I get in this first class and the entire first quarter of school is like we sit down, he's like, okay, no computers. This is all by hand. So go buy rulers and exacto knives and this and that. And at the time, now I'm like, oh, that would be fun. But at the time, I was like, yep, I'm not doing graphic design anymore. Oh, <laughs> that's man. All, that's, all, that's all that was available while I was a student. It yeah. wasn't until my second half of my last semester that there was one room that had the Apple SC2s in it. It had like 10 of them in it. And that was the computer lab. And yeah. it actually, it's an odd coincidence. That's the classroom that I teach in now. But that room had like a little table down the middle with a bunch of plugs sticking out of it. Like that was the big advance in technology that these desks had plugs on top <laughs> for, the, for like the 12 computers. There was like six on each side. And it was before, I remember even like just before I got out of school, like there was this whole conversation about anti-aliasing, making type so it doesn't have steps in it and stuff. And then that was in 1990. And then when I got out of school, then like two and three years later when I was in the toy business, some of the the artists that we were having packages designed through started getting computers. And everybody was like, oh, this stuff looks horrible. It looks like it was designed on a computer. Because people, like the bridge between like the natural doing whatever you wanted and then what the limitations of the computer, they really hadn't melded yet. And so a lot of the packages that we were getting from these two or three artists we were using 
just all looked like they were made on a computer and nobody liked it. And it was like a big, you know, so it was like around 93, 94 when like the computer revolution really took hold and nobody was doing anything by hand anymore. Mm-hmm. And everybody was, you know, there was no more razor blades. There was no more paste ups and mechanicals. You know, when I tell my students, there used to be a time when if you wanted to block a type in a, in a printed piece of material, you would have to go to a typesetter and he'd give you a photo layout of that type. And then you would slice it apart as you needed and lay it in your mechanical with, you know, wax on the back so you could remove it and move it back. And you really needed a T-square. So you type, if you blade your type down crooked, your printed product would come out with a printed crooked Mm -hmm. typeface on. So it's funny. There's no, there's even like, there's no connection to that history anymore. Like when students come through my class, like nobody even tells them how it used to be done 20 years ago. They don't even know how it was done 20 years ago. Nobody even thinks about it. If anybody out there has a subscription to lynda.com, there's a great movie on there called 25 Years of Photoshop. I think Photoshop this year um, just celebrated their 25th anniversary. And it, and it talks all about that, of, of the people that had to make the transition from doing that by hand to actually going moving to software. And then it, then it goes a little step beyond that where like Photoshop, three introduced layers and then that changed everything and, and yeah. used, so i remember seeing guys like i guess if i was in i was like 23 in 1990 there were guys that were like 45 and 46 47 the how old i am now who absolutely lost their careers because once the computer took over they had to figure out how to use a computer and they had no need for it up until then and now they have to learn a whole new technology so i remember seeing guys walking around with their portfolios you know, with all hand lettering and ink and stuff. And, you know, no, nobody cared. Everyone's like, oh, that's really good. So you have like a good technical ability. But um, do you know how to use Photoshop and Illustrator? No, I don't. Well, you know, start going to night school at 40 years old. <laughs> and, you know, some of those guys made it through some, you know, obviously changed their career. But, you know, um, so we, uh, that's basically Illustrator and Photoshop. But um, what are some of the other programs? I know the three of us sort of have like different preferences, but we all use uh, for editing. I use iMovie and Final Cut Pro, right? Is everyone in the same game with that? Yep. Um, so for editing video, I use Final Cut Pro. Um, that dates back to when I used to work at the agency. I was familiar with that and Apple Motion. Um, for designing my projects, it depends on what the project is. Sometimes I'll use SketchUp, which is a free 3D modeling tool. And sometimes I'll use Illustrator. So something as simple as like a bandsaw box, all I need is the outer shape. So I'll use Illustrator to draw my, my vectors. But when I build something like the coffee table that I just did, I needed a 3D view of that. And so I would draw that up in SketchUp and I could draw my top, I could draw my legs, and then I could draw the supports and the program actually tells me how long my my supports need to be so all i gotta do is just draw a few pieces and then it then the program actually tells me the size of the rest of the pieces which is kind of cool it doesn't create a cut list i get asked that all the time but i don't need a cut list i can just kind of do an exploded mm-hmm. version of what i draw on there so i think those- there are some plugins because sketchup um can take a lot of plugins for, to add different functionality, but I think there are some Cutlist plugins that may generate that for you. Yeah, our, our buddy Jay Bates has used the um, Cutlist plugin, and he says he does not like it, so says it's crap. Hmm. Okay, I, well, if there's any software devs out there looking for something to do, that might be a good... Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Every time I use SketchUp, I get into it, then I realize I don't know how to make the part or fill it. Then I get into a wormhole on YouTube, and then I just wait till the next day, which is usually in the middle of the night. And then, and I just make it. The and then biggest, I, it's, it's, I get so frustrated with, with SketchUp. Yeah, personally. the biggest issue is I'm a big fan of shortcuts. If I don't know the shortcuts of the program, I learn them as fast as I can. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it just feels like I'm wasting my time. And the problem with SketchUp is it doesn't use any of the same shortcuts as every other application in the world. And it drives me insane. And so my I actually have to like erase part of my brain to use SketchUp. And, yeah, Would it be worthwhile for you to remap them? Because most most applications, I don't know if about that one specifically, will let you remap what the keys are. Uh-oh. Probably I'm getting nervous. You guys are talking outside my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, Bob bleep, is just bleep, saying bleep, like bleep, you, bleep, can, bleep. you can you can go in and make new shortcuts. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go to the bathroom and. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the problem with SketchUp, I don't know if this free version of SketchUp allows you to do that. They start. I've noticed this used to be owned by Google and they sold it to another company. And I noticed like a lot of the uh, things are getting moved from the free version to the premium version, which is yeah, a really I could now put a file the other day and I was really frustrated. It took me about 45 minutes to find online where it said, oh, you can only export in or import. I was trying to import a file. It says you couldn't import unless you own the, the program. Yeah. And yeah. I thought I was doing something wrong. It wasn't highlighted to import such and such folder. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of plugins that can add some of that functionality back, or like you know give you ways around it. But that's I, I do enjoy SketchUp for making models. It's pretty quick and easy. But there are some things like that, like just being able to bring in an SVG file or some sort of vector, you know, to use as your your flat surface. Just it's like stuff that should be there and it's just not there. So there's some frustration, you know. That's what I was trying to bring in, like a vector file, so that I could extrude it, and it yeah. wasn't allowing me. And it was because I didn't own the program. It had like limitations because it was the free version, and it was frustrating. So, so since we're talking about three D stuff, um, I've been doing some more three D modeling for three D printing recently, and so I've been kind of sampling a bunch of different, you know, different ones to see like what works best for me, what the costs are, because there's a whole bunch of different options now. And some of these would, I think, work well for making uh, plans. Probably not as easy as, as SketchUp, but they would work for the same thing, you know, if you were trying to make plans of your furniture or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've tried out, Autodesk has a whole bunch of different pieces of software now that are geared toward uh, 3D things, whether it's CNC or 3D printing or just you know, 3D models, like they have some toy things where you can build a 3D toy on the screen and like do stuff with it. So they have a whole bunch of different pieces of software. I think all of their software, I might be wrong, but I think all their software is free for students, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of it is just free. Like the one I'm using, for, that I use for the GoPro thing I just did was called 123D Design. And it's a, you know, basic 3D modeling package it'll let you export stl files which is what you would use for you know any any 3d printing or uh, you could import into another more complex 3d program for animation or something like that um and it's a it's not like super intuitive if you've ever used 3d modeling software before but once you kind of get your head around where the controls are it's actually pretty easy and it's free so I, I would try say, that. Yeah, I was thinking. I was watching your video. I think I have to download that and play with it. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm, I the the piece that I used for that is not overly complex, but there is some stuff to it. And it took me a few days of fiddling around with just trying to do it, you know, and before it clicked. And 
And then I was like, oh, yeah, I could have done this in about five minutes if I, <laughs> you know, if I had understood where the buttons were. <laughs> um, so that's a good one. But there's a, a lot of other ones. They have one that I kind of looked at called um, Fusion 360. And the thing that's interesting about it is that it's it's like a big one big piece of software that does the entire tool chain from idea all the way to milling or all the way to printing. And so, you know, you can do a 2D rendering of your part. You can extrude it into 3D, build the 3D model. You can skin it with all the different materials you need. You can do, you know, create your tool paths. You can do all the different stuff and take it in whatever direction you want. You can do it all in one place. And it's like a collaborative piece of software as well. But it's pretty big and it does a whole lot and it's kind of intimidating. So, and you can use that for a a year for free, I think. Um, mm. You know, so there there's a bunch of options out there. And I notice now that, especially with the 3D modeling stuff, there are a whole bunch of cloud-based options. So they're all in the browser. You know, it saves to the cloud. Um, saw one called OnShape, which seems pretty cool. Somebody recommended. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. It's a, I think it's still in beta, so it's not even like completely nailed down yet. But it seemed like it had some pretty good potential. So, and what are you guys working on for your CNC toolpaths? Uh, a couple things. Uh, I have the Xcarve, which works well. With, uh, they make a piece of browser-based software called Easel, and Easel's real simple to use. There's not a lot of options, and it does all the toolpathing for you. So, what I'll do is, and I think Bob does the same thing, is I'll we'll draw um, what we want in Illustrator. And then import that into Easel, and we set the step. How so? So, so I'll draw my vectors in Illustrator, and then I export out a SVG file, and then Easel's browser base. So you go to Easel.com, plug in your machine, and log in, and then I say import SVG, and that brings in the the vector shape. I can position it on my board, and then set a a height or, or depth for cut. Um, and it's it's pretty simple. And I know that they're going to expand on expand on that in the future. But in the meantime, I went and purchased VCarve, which yes. is has a lot more options. And you can kind of control the all the different tool paths and set different... You can tell the software what tool that you want to use as far as a milling bit. And it can do some more advanced V carving. So I'm I'm playing along. I'm playing around with that right now. That's what I use for the shopbot mostly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, exclusively, I should say. Are you able to use V carve with a with the uh, with the X carve? Yeah, um, yes and no. I, I I'm speaking a little bit out of my knowledge base. I know you can definitely export out the G code and then import that into okay. X carve. I think there is a. a Inventables plugin that allows you to hook up directly to it, and I'm not positive. I'm not sure about that, but I do know that there's a um, there's a piece of software that's free, and it's kind of a hassle to set up. But it's called the Universal G Code Sender, and it's a just kind of a ugly little app that you run on your machine that is written in Java. But so you can get your G code from any of those pieces of software, and then as a G code file. And then when you run this thing, it actually sends that G code to whatever CNC machine you want. So it doesn't have to be, you know, any brand or anything. It's just mm-hmm. G code. Yeah. Um, 
so that is one option. You know, if you're working in something that there's a, a hole in your toolpath, that is one free option. Like I said, it's not very pretty to look at. It's not great to use, but it's it's a kind of a utility. Um, so I'm kind of along the same lines where I've been using Easel for most things because most things I've been doing is, are um, 2D or you know limited 3D cutting. But I'm working on something coming up uh, probably the next month or so that needs 3D. And so I started looking at options. I looked at VCarve, but it, it didn't quite fill what I needed. So I'm actually working on MeshCam now, which is another you know toolpath thing. Um, and it seems to be pretty good so far. I haven't actually cut anything with it, but I've been exploring creating the paths and everything. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with it yet, but um, seems pretty reasonable. So that might be another option. And that's, uh, I believe it's Mac and Windows-based. I know a lot of these are only Windows-based. Mm. Mesh but, um, Cam? M-E-S Cam? Yeah, yeah. And this one is Mac-based as well. So. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys that. I, I exclusively use, well, a Mac 99.99% of the time, unless I'm doing... Uh, Xcarve through a Windows-based computer, which is dedicated to my uh, ShopBot. And I start out with an illustration file of a vectors, and then I bring it up inside of vCarve, and then I'm able to set my parameters and set up my my cutting paths. Um, but do you guys use a Windows-based computer for anything besides? Uh, yeah. yeah so uh, I, uh, Should I say, do you guys use, uh, besides a Mac, do you use anything? Um, I only have a Mac, and because... The software I just bought, VCarve, is Mac or PC only or Windows only. I had to install Windows on a Mac. That's the oh, great yeah. thing about a Mac is I can boot up into Windows or I can boot up into OS X. So that it's it's a weird it's a it's a foreign world when I have to boot up into Windows. And I'm not I'm not I'm not the type of guy that says you have to get a Mac or you have to get Windows. I just only know Mac. That's it's the world I've known since college. So. I'm the same way. I, I you should see my desktop on my Windows computer. It's just loaded with all the files I've made in the last three years because I got nowhere. I don't know where else to put them because I, I mean I just leave them on the desktop because if I start like trying to store them away, I just lose them. And I don't even I can't even figure out how to search on it. I mean people are going to start giving me advice. I don't really need it. I could figure it out if I needed to. But just the Windows computer just seems so anti-intuitive. I, I'm sorry, all you uh, Windows-based people. Yeah, I, I mean guess, I, you just think differently. Yeah, I think they're just, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you come from is what you, you know, kind of dictates what you know and everything. Yeah, I don't have anything against uh, Windows machines either, but I also don't have any reason to get one. Everything, all the software I've purchased over the last several years has all been Mac-based and, you know, so it's just kind of down the path I'm going on. And that did, you know, my kind of um, history there did kind of dictate the toolpath software that I was looking at. There were some options that I just skipped over entirely because there wasn't a Mac version. Um, and that's just, you know, my preference. But so I think I think all that to say, no matter what kind of system you have, there are some quality options. It's just a matter of looking for Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean like like you said, you put it right. It's like how you started is what you're comfortable with. I, I I do want to bring up a little over a year ago before Bob and I really knew each other, um we were talking about CNCs. I think Bob asked me through email, like, do you have any plans on getting a CNC? And I was like, no, I looked into it, but all the software is Windows only and looks like it was coded in 1995. And he's like, oh, you, gotta, <laughs> you should check out Inventables. They have this browser-based software called Easel. And then as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, this answers all my questions. And Easel does run in the browser, preferably Chrome, but... The great thing about Easel is, it, like, it takes away all that 
learning curve because it's just so simple. There's only a few options. It looks pretty. And it just took away the fears of, of getting into CNC carbon. Yeah. And that's one of the big things about, you know, I was talking about the cloud-based CAM software. Um, and that that's one of the really interesting things about the fact that these companies are making these things cloud-based because it doesn't matter if you're on a Windows or Mac or Linux or, you know, even a tablet. I know um, some of, like, the uh, Autodesk, like the 123 design, they actually have tablet apps that use the same files, they work the same way, have the same interface. Hmm. And so it's even as like entrenched in technology as I am, it seems crazy to me to 3D model on an iPad. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you can, you know, I mean, so there's I saw a, it at, a lot I saw of it at Make a Fair a couple years ago. They had that. Yeah. Autodesk yeah. had everybody who was like modeling on iPads they had there, but then how do you export it? How do you like send it to a printer? Well, you can uh, when you plug in an iPad to your Mac or to any machine, um, you can get some files off of it if. Oh, I suppose. I'm thinking you're going directly from the iPad. So you'd have to kind of go to a computer in between. Well, but even there, like, so with a lot of printers, 3D printers especially, they have uh, Wi Fi based print servers. And so you could theoretically, you know, send the file to the print server and have it actually handle the print. You know, that is an option as well. Um, Another thing, you know, a lot of these. The cloud-based stuff is a lot of them are free, not all of them are. But we've talked about Illustrator a lot, and that that reminded me that we should point out that pretty much everything, Illustrator, Photoshop, any of those, there is a free, you know, application that does about the same. So, mm-hmm. like for Illustrator, one that people use a lot is called Inkscape, and it's usually the free software like that is behind a little bit as far as the user interface. Maybe some of the functionality it's behind for the stuff that you're going to pay for, but there are options. So, do you guys have any other free software recommendations we want to make? No, no. I'm you not. know, I, I used to always get every couple of years I would buy the Apple Suite, you know, the Creative Suite. And now in the last the last go around that I actually try to upgrade it, it was they, I bought it instead of having this big giant box full of discs. The guy gave me a credit card, uh, an object like a credit card, and goes, "Here, this is your Apple Suite." I'm like, "What is this?" He goes, "No, now it's all <laughs> internet based. You just got to pi- type in that number, and then you know you you pay a subscription." And uh, so I did that, and I I honestly like it better. I mean, you know, obviously we all spent years getting hacked versions of different softwares and stuff, and then you realize you you, you have limitations, and you know it's outdated, and you can't upgrade it because you stole it. So now that I actually pay for it monthly. And that it's always on the computer. And then once you sign in, it's on your other computer. Mm-hmm. It's made life so much easier for me. And of course, you know, I pay for it because that's you have to. And I don't mind paying for it because it's always updated. It's here. It's there. It's on this computer. It's on that computer. And you have all the updated versions of everything you need. And you know, it's oh, it's going to grow old with me. It's going to you know, it's going to stay current. And so I don't mind. You know, I have some friends that are like, oh man, can you get me a hack version of it or this and that? I'm like, just pay for it. And everything's going to be better. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to in a year from now going to be like, oh, I can't do this, I can't export, or you know. So I, I like the idea that it's a it's a subscription base now, as as opposed to having a disc. Yeah, I think I do too. Uh, it just it, it, it removes that barrier. Like you don't have to yeah. get a store, you don't have to wait for it to arrive in the mail or anything. Um, yeah. So we're talking about free versions of the software. So Illustrator, that's a vector-based drawing application. And Bob mentioned Inkscape is a good alternative for that. And Photoshop is a pixel or bitmap-based application. And uh, I think it's called GIMP. I've never used it, but that's a free version that could – it's an alternative to that. So, yeah. 
Do you guys use Photoshop a lot? I find myself, I mean, my, my main programs that I use on a daily basis is Illustrator and Photoshop. And then, of course, iMovie I use more than, than I use Final Cut Pro. But the, So those are my three main. But I find myself using Photoshop a lot to try and make presentations to clients because they want to see how something's going to look. So I'll photograph a scene and then I'll go back in and I'll Photoshop in something that I'm going to build that's going to suit that space. Hmm. Do you guys uh, have experience doing anything similar to that? I well, I use uh, I use a lot of the Adobe Suite. So I I do photography. So I use Photoshop for photography. I also use yep. Photoshop for a lot of my web graphics. Um, yep. And and I use Illustrator to design some things. I but I'll I'll do it more for layout of like if I'm working on a new web design for my site or a landing page, I'll use Illustrator for that. And then for my plans, I'm using a combination of all three, or all three, I mentioned two. I'm using a combination of InDesign, Illustrator, and Photoshop. Actually right. four, because sometimes I'll take screen grabs from SketchUp and then import that into InDesign. InDesign is more of like a, a page layout, a multiple page PDF mm-hmm. or book. Right. Right. Yeah, I use uh, I use Photoshop probably three days a week. Um, you know, I have <clears throat> templates files set up for a lot of the web graphic graphics that I produce. You know, thumbnails and all that stuff. So I'm in there quite a bit. Um, and then for all my articles on the website, I always do kind of photo manipulation and stuff to make everything fit. So I use that a lot. Um, all the Adobe stuff is pretty handy. And like the other guys have said, if you guys can afford that, I think it's worthwhile. I would be interested, though, in the comments or like on Twitter or something, let us know some other free options you know, that would go along to fill the same needs as those because I know that not everybody can afford that you know, monthly mm-hmm. subscription for that thing. But yeah. So I was curious. Um, I know that I use a bunch of other pieces of software that are uh, you know, not graphical, but they're more for like me keeping ideas and stuff. And we've talked about some of those before, but I'm curious like what you guys are using now. Um, I still am using Evernote quite a bit. And that's just a place for me to kind of brain dump thoughts and notes and lists and all that type stuff. Um, Mm. But I've also recently, and we talked about it, uh, David mentioned Trello, which is a a web-based list building thing and I'm using that to manage my projects now it's free uh, it's it's turning out to be really cool for me um, it's like a collaborative tool as well so I can have some other people seeing what I'm working on and everything uh, so what are you guys working on or what are you using for your actual work <laughs> you, you want to know what grandpa does <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> grandpa Jimmy <laughs> Well, you guys know I have a secret email. I don't want to say it online, but um, I have a. I just use my secret email account, so I just email to my secret email account. So if I have a thought, I'm like, oh, don't forget to email myself, and I just open up an email and I just type an email and I send it to my secret email. I love you. And so I love you. When I <laughs> and it's on my phone. So if you're with me and you happen to see my phone, you'll know my secret identity online. And. Uh, I'll be able to just, uh, I'm like, oh, where are the plans for that? Because that's a way for me to filter out. So, when, so like, for instance, the pretzel shop, I got like seven different sets of plans from the architect. So every time he sends me a new set of plans that I need to kind of refer to, I just forward it to my other email account. So it's filtered out. It's Now it's in like three places. I can get it because everything goes to two places. I have it forwarded seven different spots. So when I get an email regularly, I can search it three different ways because it goes to other accounts. 
but I automatically forward it to my other account so that I know it's right there at the top of that list because nothing else has come to that account except for what I sent to it. And uh, so that's a way for me to, to filter out and send myself notes. I'd like to, to point something out, though, that you said that you you forward things from this to that and you have them going all over the... Yeah. I looked at your phone when we were at Maker Fair and <laughs> remind, remind oh, me man. of the number on, the, on his email. David, what Hold was up. it? Was it 40,000? <laughs> yeah, it was insane. It drove... Like, I just looked at it and got anxiety, like an anxiety attack right there. Jimmy Wait is pulling out his phone. He's going to let us know how many unread emails I can't even find my phone. I don't know where my phone is. I'm pretty oh, sure Oh, I put it, it in the drawer because it was vibrating. Here it is. Uh, <laughs> Tell us how many it is. Drum roll. Um, this is how many unread. Unread. I don't know why Periscope's opening up. All right, so it says 47,783 unread emails. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's because that is because every time I get an email, it automatically forwards to my Gmail account. I have a couple of Gmail accounts. So one of them is my secret identity, and one of them is, is jimmyderest at gmail.com. So everything goes to both of those accounts. And that's because once year, years and years ago, I had a Microsoft account. Uh, this is before the mail program started on, on, on the Mac or before I used it regularly. And one day I opened up my Microsoft account and it just was, it, it just had no emails in it anymore. It just, it gave up. It said, you know what, dude, <laughs> you got to clean out. It just said, we cleaned out your inbox for you. We don't care. And I had nothing there. So like, and at the time I was working a lot with Hong Kong. So I had a lot of pieces I needed to reference and, you know, all these bits and pieces of like projects that were going on and they were all gone. Every single bit of mail that I had was gone because I was using a Microsoft-based uh, server situation, and it just decided to just give up on me. Mm. And so that's why now, to, to kind of cover my ass, I, I have it sent to three different accounts. And mm. then, like I said, I filter out the things that are important to me by literally sending those consciously to a different account. So that's how I solved that problem. So now <laughs> I have millions of emails unread, but they're all mail that I've read one way or another. Crazy. So, uh, so, like like Bob, I use Evernote. I I use Evernote a lot, and Dropbox. I use those two kind of programs to kind of sync everything between all Dropbox my computers. Like Dropbox, I live by. Yeah, it's great. Um, I just wish Dropbox would add another tier. Like, there's like there's like, I don't know what the prices are. Like the the one dollar a month, and then it jumps to like fifty dollars a month. Like, would you please put something in between um, for recording the show? We are all on Skype. We're using a plugin for Skype called Call Recorder. And then everything is then edited with Logic Pro 10. And wow. then, I didn't uh, even know that. That's yes. Cool. Um, for my new show, Makers and Shakers, the old weekly wrap up, I use a program called 4K Video Downloader. And what that does is downloads everybody's YouTube videos that I need. You, there are Firefox plugins that you can use, but it only downloads like the 720 version. This 4K video downloader will download the original file, no matter how big it is. And so that's that's fun. Kind of going through my applications here. I used Lightroom to organize all my photos. And um, for, for coding, I use Sublime Text and another application called Transmit for FTP. And that's... Oh, Bob just introduced me to a program called Text Expander, which is really Ooh. helping with my productivity. And so a lot of the things that you type multiple times a day, whether that's your phone number or your email address or your physical address, you can just you can 
teach it a little command. So I could use like a little three letter, four letter command. And whenever I type the, that combination of letters, it fills in the actual thing that I'm trying That's to type. Cool. It's like if predictive. That, that, it's like, a, it's like a, a programmable predictive text. It yes. is the best. Yeah. It is so awesome. It's it's wow. really cool. I don't, I don't know. Did I did I explain that well enough? Is, yeah, I think so. I mean, you just create short codes, kind of for anything that you wanna you want it to fill. So, <clears throat> like for instance, when I do the show notes for this show, you know, there's a list of the things that we talked about. There's an intro. There's like a list of the I don't know. There's a bunch of different things that are always there, and um, so I created a shortcut that is five characters, and so I go to our show notes. I type in five characters and it replaces those five characters with all the show notes. And then I go back in and fill in the specific, you know, the links for the videos and stuff for that episode. But there's actually, I've never used it, but there's actually some functionality in there where you can make a variable in the thing that it's filling. So like if you wanted to have a, an email that was dear Jimmy, and then it had this big kind of form email, you could, you could actually type in your short code and it would start to fill it and say, like, what name do you want to use? And you say Jimmy. And then it fills out the whole thing and, and fills in Jimmy for that variable. So there's a lot of stuff like that that can make it – anything that you do on a repeating basis, uh, Text Expander can make it a lot easier. It's, but it's one of those things you have to make yourself use for a couple of weeks, I think, to really you know, remember the fact that there are those shortcuts available to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I use it for like addresses and show notes and all wow. sorts of stuff. I just copy and paste stuff from old versions of what I need. That's that's probably why someone came up with this program. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they were going into their old YouTube movies and copying out all the pertinent information and then recopying it into the new movie. Yeah, that's what uh, I do. Another <laughs> app that some of you video people might find handy is called Handbrake. So sometimes, oh, the, I use that, yeah. yeah. So when I use Final Cut Pro, uh, I'll export out a QuickTime movie and H two six four. Is that the is that the right? Yeah, yeah. And but sometimes it'll still be like a gig, and I don't want to I don't want to wait two hours for it to upload to YouTube. So I'll use a program called Handbrake to bring that file size down, and it brings it down to like two hundred fifty megabytes. So that's that's a fun one. You know what I use Handbrake for? Well, that's why my experience was I had DVDs of movies, uh, old TV shows, and I wanted to turn them into an email file to send to somebody. So I was able to pull all those off of the DVD with Handbrake and turn them into QuickTimes that I could email. Yeah, and that's a free Mac, PC, I think Linux as well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, did, I was assumed it was Mac only. I didn't even know that. And then mm-hmm. uh, so when I do the, the Makers and Shakers, I have my iPad hanging from the ceiling, and I'll use that as my kind of like my teleprompter, but I just keep my notes in there. And I've used teleprompter apps before where I can kind of script things. And as I say it, the the app will kind of scroll because it listens to your oh, words. Cool. But it's kind of wonky, and I don't I don't follow a, a script. I just follow bullet points. So I use Keynote. So I can have um, – Keynote is um, – it's a – What's the Microsoft version of Keynote? It's like the PowerPoint. PowerPoint, yeah. 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 So, I've used PowerPoint yeah. before, too. It's actually pretty cool. So I have different pages up on my iPad, but then I can control it from my iPhone and flip through different pages. As I, as I complete that page of bullet points, I just flip my finger on my phone, and then it flips the, the page on, on the iPad, and I use that as my, as my teleprompter for the show. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I actually have used PowerPoint quite a bit to present ideas to people. 
and uh, to to make presentations and just kind of filter out. You know, it's funny. So I've gotten there's this whole when I worked at this toy company for a short period of time. Everything turned into a you know a deck. The deck is a version of a PowerPoint mm-hmm. layer of multiple. You know, trying to get the idea out. So I would get a deck in my email. And that's the very first thing. Whenever we would kind of brainstorm up an idea, it's like, okay, make a deck up on that. And then I'd have to go to my desk and I'd pull all these things off the internet and say, okay, this is the toy. The toy is this. These are the type of competitors that make a similar toy. And so you make a deck and you make a presentation. So I I actually uh, should use that more than I do. Every once in a long while, somebody will request one of those from me. But um, yeah, so you just reminded me of that. Thank you. So... What is everybody's browser of choice? I use uh, the one with the with the uh, little north pointing arrow. Safari. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for the name. Um, My girlfriend uses Chrome. Yeah. So between the two of us, I have everything set up to like click and open up in Safari, just because it all defaulted that way. Hmm. And Taylor uses Chrome, so like we fight. Like if she's at the computer for a few minutes before me, everything's quit, and then Chrome is open, and then vice versa when I sit down. So we have browser wars. <laughs> I, uh, I I like Safari. That's my default browser. Um, but when I'm web editing, I'll have two browsers open. So I'll I'll be logged into my website with Firefox, and then I see the logged in version. But then I'll also have that same page open up in Safari, and I can see what it looks like to the non-logged in people. So I, I kind of switch oh, yeah. back and forth. And I also use Chrome. I use Chrome for a lot of like web-based applications because it just handles all that so much better than everybody mm. else. But uh, sometimes mm-hmm. when you want to decode a website, Firefox's developer tools, the built-in developer tools, are fantastic. It's so good, so good. See, so. yeah, I like the Chrome developer tools better. Uh-huh. I, after you know using both of them for so many years and having to like check every single thing I did in every browser. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> we lost Grandpa Jimmy. <laughs> but having to check, you know, in the job, having to check every single thing I did in every browser available for so many years. And when I was done with uh, doing web development professionally, I was just like. I'm going to use Chrome, <laughs> only Chrome, <laughs> you know, and everything else is just, but um, I, like for what you were saying about seeing logged in or non-logged in, I'll use the incognito windows in Chrome for the same thing because it doesn't track any, uh, you know, cookies or like login sessions or anything like that. Tip. So yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, yeah. I do the same thing. I'll have Chrome open to my YouTube page and then I'll have Safari open to my logged in YouTube page so I could see like when things are up and and you know, sometimes I'll I'll load up like a, a, a you know an icon to be like the movie cover for the for the the link and it doesn't always show right away so I want to see if it shows up in the uh, you know in the public version so I do the same thing the one thing I do use um, multiple browsers for and I use Safari for the other one uh, typically is like things where I have two accounts on the same you know service so for like Patreon, we have a Patreon account for this podcast, and then I have one for myself. So my Safari is logged into the Making It Patreon. That way I don't have to like worry about logging in and out of things. I just know yeah. that if it's Making It based, it's in Safari. If it's I like to make stuff, it's in Chrome. And that just kind of makes it easier to you know, keep for those sure. things yeah. up. That's an interesting trick. Actually, one trick before we, before we wrap up... Um, I use Illustrator all the time. I have this, I'm looking at my notes. I use Illustrator all the time when I'm laying out like a, a space that I have to build in for interiors or whatever. 
I lay it out, and if it's small enough, I lay it out in inches. And if it's if it's super big, I lay it out in millimeters. And if it's like kind of medium size, I lay it out in centimeters. And each one of those represents either a foot or an inch or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So I've done the same thing I, for my basement, yeah. except I have uh, I'm using pikas for yep. uh, for a foot, and so I kind of so I can actually, and then I, I've measured all my tools and their, their footprint, and I mm-hmm. put that in the Illustrator. And so now, if I want to go and rearrange my shop, I can just move these these. Yeah, that's exactly. Around. I have a lot of uh, different things. Like, you know, if I'm going to work, for instance, I just did this pretzel shop, and I lay it all out in, say, for instance, I lay it out in centimeters because then I could have a pretty decent sized file if I wanted to print it out and have it as reference nearby. Um, if I'm working on something really big, I'll jump into millimeters and then I'll do all my layouts in millimeters because then I can then print it out and I have like a, a reasonable size fold. It all depends on the scale of the project. But um, That's a good tip, I, yeah. I do that all either as a plan view or, or, um, or an elevation view for whatever it is I'm doing just so I could immediately, it's a good way also to kind of quickly um, uh, estimate material costs and material you know, need for whether it's plywood or planks or whatever it is. It's to, you know to to check square footage, hmm. that kind of stuff. Hmm. Yep. Cool. Well, you guys got any other software tips we want to share? I think uh, I think we've nerded out enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay, everybody, wake up! It's time to wake up. We're gonna finish the show. <laughs> I gotta go use some power tools, guys. Come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, um, well, let's just move on to what we've been watching. Let's just get to it. Um, you guys been watching anything cool? Uh, yes. Uh, my channel this week is called Inspired to Make. And it's just, there's not a whole lot of videos on there, but the what is on there is really well done. Just yeah. awesome, cool videos. Their latest video is a hex nut bracelet. So it's just making like a, a manly type bracelet out of hex nuts. There was a leather coffee coffee sleeve and just cool projects, well shot, well narrated, good stuff. Yeah, those are really good. I like that channel. Um, I've just been, I'm sorry, guys. I'm still nerding out on machinist stuff. So um, uh, uh, King Tutley introduced me to a guy uh, last night, Double Boost, guy who's got a crazy, crazy uh, accent. Sounds like it's Irish. Maybe it's Welsh. Double Boost. So I've been watching him and uh, just nerding out on on lathing and stuff. Uh, I forgot to mention my videos coming out. Uh, it's probably going to be out by the time this airs, but... I have a video where I made uh, some some legs for what's called the vampire spike table, and uh, so I'm just nerding out on lathing and machining these last couple of weeks. Nice, cool. Um, me, I've been watching. I watched. I've watched a lot of stuff on Tested. We've probably talked about them before, but in the last few weeks, they have been doing um, a multi-part video about this Rancor costume that they made for Comic Con this year. The big foam rubber one. That's cool. yeah, that. yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's it's really awesome to see how they took you know this gigantic costume or this gigantic character and scale it down to a costume that fits around a person. And there's just a lot of really good techniques for making things out of different types of foam, and then there's sculpting, and then there's painting, and there's a bunch of stuff that goes into it. I love the idea of uh, when they when they talking about the foam rubber and have the different densities of foam rubber to kind of predict where the thing's going to flex and where it's going to stay stiff. I thought that was a great tip. Yeah, and like cutting the little uh, grooves or little slots in a piece so that it kind of turned into a net almost so that it can flex. I thought it was yeah, really some cool. really good tips and all that. I watched that as well. Yeah, so you guys should check that out. Cool. You guys got anything else for this week? That's it. Just uh, back my toy campaign. It's moving up. So oh yeah, how's it going? It it's good. I'm like, I think I'm past 75%, which is awesome. We still got a, almost 15, 16 days left. And uh, so we might, we might get there. Awesome. Might get there. 
So thank you for that, everybody. I appreciate that. Cool. Any uh, any book news, David? Uh, yes, the book, uh, no, no news since the last show, but the book is coming out on September 15th. It was sent to the printer, so we're just waiting for that to come back. Uh, that means I should have copies when we're out in Woodworking in America, September 25th and 26th. Um, and I will also sell just only a handful of copies, signed copies from my website. Otherwise, I'm going to direct people to Amazon because I don't want to get involved in all the shipping. And those signed copies are going to be like $500 a piece, right? <laughs> Between four and 500 oh, Okay, yeah. Be reasonable. Something reasonable, That's reasonable. yeah. That's reasonable. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll all be at, at WIA uh, Woodwork in America this year. So if you guys are in the area, of Kansas City, in those dates, come hang out with us. Um, yeah, that'll probably do it for us this week. Where can we find everybody? You can find me at YouTube.com/slash Make Something. Ooh, new just, channel. Yeah, mate. I just I just got that approved from Google. I had to uh, yeah, I had to go through an approval process. So wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. JimmyDeResta.com and Toybacker.com. And toybacker.com and blah, 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 and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, so type that in. Type in yada, yada, yada. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, my stuff's I like to make stuff.com, and you can get to everything else from there. So uh, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks for listening, guys. Later on. Time. Thank you. 